Christ Forming the Church is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his ninth message, In the Prayers. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it reads as follows. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Well, as we are talking about relationships, why God formed them, and, and for what purpose, we are to that place in our preaching where we're talking about the forming of the church, that God ultimately builds relationships toward that resurrection life together. And in order to give an environment for that resurrection life, God formed the church. Now, He didn't just form the church without a pattern. He formed the church very particularly, and it is our belief that as he formed that first church, so he wants to continue to form the present-day church. To that end, this is the fourth sermon on the same verse in the Bible. That verse is Acts 2.42, and it shows us how God forms the church. Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is, to the accurate understanding of the living and written word of God to the objective truth that is not put to a vote, is not up for how you feel about it, doesn't care, doesn't matter what your opinion is, it is fact. It is fact for believers and it is fact for unbelievers. So God built his church on objective truth and that was discerned by the apostles' teaching. And then he built people together who believed and founded the, and, and staked their lives on that ob- objective truth. That was the fellowship. The, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, that is, the looking to God as the source of all of our provision, not just this little communion service that you do that's separated from everyday life, but really the summary, the high point of everyday life, looking to God who is the provider of both our physical and spiritual needs, and then to the prayers. I want you to notice that along with the rest of these, I don't believe that American churches have a very good understanding of prayer. Because we've gone from the direction of, well, let's have uh, established uh, uh, prayer lives together to, well, whenever the Spirit hits you, you just pray, and then that's what's the most sincere and the most effective. Well, I want you to know that the first church had prayers that were full of the Holy Spirit. And many of them were spontaneous, but they did not abandon the ritual that had been established in Israel for years. The fact is, in Greek, it is the prayers, te, the prayers. And it includes the regular time of prayer of the Jewish people. The those who were filled with the Holy Spirit, those that first indwelling uh, of people in the church continued that pattern of prayer. What pattern? Well, there were at least three times every day when Jewish people prayed. They would, they would stand toward Jerusalem, especially in the morning and the evening. Stand toward Jerusalem. They were always standing. The, 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 the traditional posture is with hands upraised. By the way, that's the reason sometimes you'll see someone... Uh, singing like this. It's the posture of prayer. It's a traditional Jewish posture of prayer. Their hands were upraised, and and their, their head was usually down in humility. And they prayed 
to God at the same time, incidentally, in the morning and in the evening, that there were sacrifices being offered at the temple. The sacrifices for the atonement of their sin. And and they understood that if they prayed while those sacrifices were being made, that is, if the offense of their sin was taken away, that was a time that you could get through to God. Well, of course, we have the high priest, Jesus. In Hebrews 7, he says he is our continual sacrifice. He is continually interceding for us. In Romans 8, it says the Spirit continually intercedes for us. Therefore, we have a sacrifice that's good once and for all. And yes, we can pray at any time because the atonement for our sins has been made in Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean, then, that you relinquish those regular times of prayer? Let let me recommend to you, no, it doesn't. You know why? Because if you don't have established times of prayer, chances are you won't pray until there's an emergency. If you don't have a time every day when you go to God, or several times every day when you go to God, you will have a very small and atrophied prayer life. Because we are people of habit. Now, E.M. Bounds said that God shapes the world by prayer. E.M. Bounds is a wonderful preacher. Lee, I think he was a Methodist preacher, wasn't he? Was he a Methodist preacher? Yes, amen. We got a group of Azalea United Methodists with us there. E.M. Bounds was a great preacher, but he was also a great prayer warrior. And he said, God shapes the world by prayer. Let me ask you something. Do you think your prayer life shapes the world? I'm going to give you an answer to that in just a little bit. It it may surprise you. God shapes the world by prayer. Well, how does God establish prayer? He establishes prayers through patterns. He establishes our lives in patterns. You look at the world in their patterns. And therefore, patterns are helpful. Patterns that we call rituals can be helpful. You know why? Because they get us to the place where we need to be just in case we have anything to say. Years ago, when, when I was, uh, had a different schedule, I did lots of weddings. And sometimes I'd have two or three a weekend. I love to do weddings. Still love to do them. I just don't do them anymore because my schedule doesn't permit, but I, I, I love to do weddings. And I remember taking them through the, the wedding rehearsal. I love to go through wedding rehearsals with people. A lot of fun to go through wedding rehearsals. And, and I would say the same thing to them every time. The function of a wedding rehearsal is just to get your body in the right place. Because tomorrow, you're not going to remember any of this. Tomorrow, when you start to come through those doors, and and I I saw this at hundreds of weddings. Men and women, by the the way, are different on their wedding day. Men are are almost catatonic. They are. They, they, They look like they've had a lobotomy. You ready to get married? Yeah. Ready to go? Yeah. Nervous? No. You know, women are going, is that all right? Are people showing up? How's it going out there? You know, you know, and they come out, you know, and they're kind of looking over the crowd. You're sneaking out to the door and looking over the crowd. But the reaction is the same when they hit the door. Oh, my goodness, I forgot what I'm supposed to say. And so I just say, all you need to remember tomorrow is on cue, come down and stand where you stood last night. 
if you get within the range of my voice, I will whisper you through this thing. Well, I tell you what, prayer is the same thing. You get your body and your mind pointed to where you're supposed to go and something good may happen. You may be able to make a commitment you really want to make, but first you have to get in the right place. I know some of you parents, by the way, wonder whether or not you ought to force your children to come to church. I love this. Because all of you have kids that get to the stage where they say, I don't want to go to church. I hate going to church. I I don't know you're taking me to church because I ain't going to listen. I know that because we've had three boys, and all of them are strong kids. You're supposed to get one compliant kid, aren't you? In the mix, aren't you supposed to, aren't you supposed to have at least one compliant kid? We, somebody's got our kid out there. Because we, didn't, we never got all of them just as strong as they can be, and of course they went through that stage. I don't want to go, you know. And then you always hear these horror stories. Well, the reason I don't believe in God today is because my parents forced me to go to church every week. And that's why I don't believe in God today. And so all these parents are intimidated. All these parents are intimidated. Well, we said to our kids what I hope you say to your kids. Look, I don't care what your attitude is. You are going to have your body in the right place just in case God wants to do business with you, just in case you hear something, and just in case God wants to change your life. Now, I would give you an example. I can tell you 20 people who do believe in God today because their parents had enough guts to drag their bodies to church so that they could hear the Word of God and it was planted, and when time came, they had something to work on. Don't you back down. It is very important. So therefore, the attitude isn't your business. That's the Holy Spirit's business. The pattern is your business. The pattern for your kids and the pattern for yourselves. To get yourself in the right place. So that you don't have to just make up your own prayer life. The pattern is well established in Scripture. David, who loved God, who was a man after God's own heart, had a pattern to his prayer life. Psalm 55, verses 16 and 17 says this, As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. When? Just any time you feel like it? No, look at what he says. Evening and morning and at noon. By the way, the the Jewish day begins in the evening, so this is the right order. Evening and morning and at noon. I will complain and murmur. I'm going to tell him my heart. And he will hear my voice. King David had that pattern in his life. Now you can waste that pattern or you can make something out of it. But at least you are having a regular time with God. If you turn to chapter 18 of Luke, you will see two people in a very definite difference in the way they spent their time in that pattern. Jesus tells this parable. Starting with verse 10, it says this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, when did they go up to the temple? Is it, is it a coincidence that these two guys are at the temple at the same time to pray? No, it's a regular time of prayer. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus, listen to these words, to himself. 
Yeah, you can go through a routine and just repeat the words to yourself. You can coast. Of course you can. Oh, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. He's just standing there trying to raise his own self-esteem, you know. Oh, God, thanks for who I am. I just feel so good. But there was another person there at the same time who had his body responding to that pattern. And look what he said, verse 13. Standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can make something out of it or you can waste it, but the pattern is established. And let me tell you something great. Your prayer life does not totally depend upon your spiritual maturity. You know why? Because God has gone before you with saints who have prayed and their prayers have affected, watch this, your prayer life. Their prayers are a platform for your prayer life. Listen to this. Listen to the rest of that quote by E.M. Bounds. Inbound says, God shapes the world by prayer. And we pray better because of the people who have prayed before us. And our prayers, listen, will be to the benefit of unborn generations. Now, how does that happen when we don't even know them? When we, when we aren't even particularly praying for them? It happens because a pattern is established in the heavenlies and because God has made prayers to accumulate through the years and through the generations. Now, you may think, well, that's a little weird. Hunter, you're starting to sound like Benny Hinn. Well, look, look in the... I shouldn't have said that. Erase that off that tape. <laughs> now listen, I like Benny. I like Benny. I, you know, he's got some strange theology, but, it, you know, I like him. Uh, verse 39 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. Look at what it says. Now Hebrews, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you know, is the hall of faith. It is, it is, the, it is the, it names all of the characters who have gone before these spiritual giants of faith. And you would expect the hall of faith to say all of these people got what they prayed for, wouldn't you? Look at verse 39, what it says. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why not? Look at verse 40. Because God provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Or the Greek word is teleos or complete. In other words, their prayers are completed in us. Their faith is a platform for us. Therefore, what should our behavior be? Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the, with endurance the race that is set before us. You know what? You don't have to start your prayer. You say, I don't know how to pray. I feel weak in my prayer life. I go there and I don't know what to say. 
I'm just not good at it. I want to tell you the tremendous platform you already have for prayers because of the saints that have gone before you. Listen to me. We have not made up our own theology. Down through the years, we simply stand on the shoulders of the saints who have gone before us and have known and loved God before us. What in the world would make us think we would make up our own prayer life? No, their prayers are also a platform for us. The pattern, the reason that the Jews were the ones that were effective in prayers, the reason that they were effective is because they knew the saints that had gone before them. They knew that Abram, you know, and, I, and I've written a bunch of names, and you can look up, look up the scriptures, but Abram, you know, everywhere he went, the guy built an altar. Read chapter 12 of Genesis. Verse, well, I got it right here. Chapter 12, verse 7. God had called him out. He says, Abraham, go from your family. Go forth to a country which I will show you. And I will make you a blessing. I'll make you a great nation and a blessing. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham goes off and he says, and it says this. And he came to this land of Canaan. And verse 7 says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, Your descendants, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded there to the mount on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent and Bethel on the west and I on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. Every place he went, the man built an altar. Why? Because he had a pattern of prayer. What do you do at an altar? You make a sacrifice and you pray. He built a pattern of prayer. What happened to the great... Uh, prophet Daniel, you know, when he got into all the trouble. I saw a little kid going through the hallway this morning. They had a, a paper plate cut out. The center of the paper plate was cut out, and there was these brown strips of paper all around the paper. And I thought, what in the world of that? And I just stared at him going through the hall. I said, what is that? And he stuck his face through it. It was a lion's mane. He goes, I'm a lion. This is Daniel in the lion's den thing. And the lions just shut their mouths. They didn't eat Daniel. What happened? When the king signed the edict that said, everybody who doesn't do such and such, they have to, go, they have to be thrown into the lion's den. You know what Daniel's reaction was? It's written in chapter 6, verse 10 of Daniel. Let me read it to you. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof, the chamber, uh, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. Many people went up onto the roofs to pray during these particular times of day. And he continued, listen to this, he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. What happened to Daniel? Did he go into emergency prayer? Oh, God, what do I do now? He continued with his pattern. He had access to God before he, because he had established a pattern in his life. Do you know how different that is than the typical American prayer life? Most Americans have, think they have a bargaining chip with God because they don't ask him for much. I, heard, I, I literally heard a story one time about a sea captain. Uh, years ago, it was a sailing vessel, and there was this horrible storm that blew up and the, and the sailors went to him and said, Captain, you got to pray. You're the leader of the ship. you got to pray. He says, I don't know anything about God. I haven't been to church in years. He says, well, you got to pray. And so he starts praying this line. See if this sounds familiar. Lord, I haven't asked you for anything for 15 years. 
And if you get us out of this, I won't bother you for another 15 years. That's the pattern. God, I don't ask you for much, so therefore you've got to give me what I want. No, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. God wants to hear our prayers with great regularity. He wants us to establish a pattern which we can fill with meaning. Don't be afraid of ritual in your life. You know, you can depend on ritual. And it can be an awful thing. And it can be a stumbling block. But you can also use it. My stepfather was Roman Catholic. He is Roman Catholic. And I'm talking old-line Roman Catholic. Uh, most of my family is Roman Catholic. And, and my stepfather was, is, you know, the typical Roman Catholic of his day. doesn't express much theology. We never really talked about it. I've been in the ministry almost 20, 25 years now. He has never stepped foot in one of my churches because it's a Protestant church, you know, old line. But I want to tell you something. I used to have this flip, you know, brush off of Roman Catholics because, you know, they, they say the beads and they do this and that, you know. And it's true for many. But I want to tell you something. One day, one morning, I remember getting up, and, and I've told some of you this story, and I, and I remember uh, very early in the morning, my, my dad uh, got up very early, had a factory job, had to get up very early in the morning. And I always expected that when he got up, he just packed his lunch and he went off to this job. But the one morning I got up and, and, and went past the kitchen, he was in the kitchen, boy, he was just praying to God. That was his time of prayer. Now, he could have said his beads and had done with it, but he used that time to fill it with a personal relationship with God. We have the same opportunity. Every church has rituals. You can just put your mind in autopilot, and you can go on the ritual, no matter what church you call it, or you can have a regular pattern where you go to God. And not every time will be a great time. But there will be great times. Why does God want us to do that? For the cultivation of our heart. Not so that we can become great prayers in words. Not so that we can mount up these phrases on one another. Lord, teach me to pray, not what to say. Not how to get what I want. Teach me to pray. Now let me tell you something very, very important about prayer. And it may be the point of all of these these times when you establish a pattern of prayer in your life. Let me just say this to you before I challenge you to establish that pattern. Last week I said that one of the reasons we take communion is to remind ourselves that God is the, is the provider of all of life. Communion is not just to be a separate little uh, mystical, magical sacrament apart from life. It is to remind us that God is the provider, the material and spiritual provider. And in order to do that, remember we talked about giving God a thank offering before we ever touched any of his provisions. Leviticus 23.14 says that. Don't partake of any of the provisions until you have first given God that thank offering. We talked about the tithe. We didn't talk about percentages. I get, you know, people talk about, before taxes, after tithe, you know. Give the first part to God. That's the heart of the tithe. And we said when, when that happens what you realize is that it's all from God. There's not just uh, that percentage that's God's. It's all God's. Well, let me say this, and I don't want you to forget this. Prayer 
is a tithe of the heart. These times when we go to God, they are not to say, Oh God, this is my prayer time. This is when I will talk with you. This is when I will listen to you. And this is when you will speak to me. No, prayer is the first part of our lives that we give to God so that he can show up in the rest of it. When we are faithful with that segment of our lives, what God does is make appearances in all of the rest of it so that we can realize that all life is God's. God wants us to pray so that he can give us the fullness of understanding of who he is. Not so that he can give us objects, but so that he can give us a fuller gifting. Now, he does give us uh, sometimes uh, presentations, sometimes even what we ask for, you know? But he wants the persistence of our prayer life so that he can give us himself. Let me give you a scripture for that. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 13, 9 through 13. It says this, Jesus is speaking, and he is ordering his disciples, and he is ordering us. Look at what he says. I say to you, verse 9, ask, and it shall be given to you. Now, in Greek, this is a present imperative tense. It means keep on asking until it's given. That's not a one-time asking. That's a persistence. It's a pattern. It's a repetition. Seek, and you shall find. It really says in Greek, keep on seeking until you find. Knock, keep on knocking until it's open for you. And then it talks about the character of God. It says, look, you fathers who are human know how to give good gifts to your kids. They wouldn't ask you for something good and you give them something bad. And then it comes down to verse 13. It says, if you then, being evil, that's us. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Watch this. Shall your heavenly Father... Give the Holy Spirit. There's the key. God wants to cultivate your heart so that your prayer life will fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's not just about the gifts. It's about being filled with the nature of God. How much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And again, this is a present participle. It's a continuous and repeated action to those who continually ask Him. That's why God wants us to pray on a regular basis, in a pattern, every day. Because as we do that, our prayers accumulate, listen to this, for the generations that come after and for the nature in us that will change. Now let me give you two more things and then I'll quit. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Now I want you to see how God uses, how God uses the prayer life of an individual. This is at the beginning of the church. The beginning of the church, God didn't use spiritual giants. He just used people who were faithful in prayer. Look at this. Cornelius, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. I, I always picture Sylvester Stallone when I, when I read this. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household. 
and, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour, now I want you to see this, about the ninth hour, what was the ninth hour? It was a regular time of prayer. He was in, a, he was in his pattern of prayer. About the ninth hour, it says. Um, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come to him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, you know what a memorial is? A memorial is something that reminds you of something, isn't it? Is a memorial something that can go away? Well, if it could go away, it wouldn't be a memorial anymore, would it? A memorial is always there because its function is to remind you, and it can't remind you if it's not there, so it's always there. Now, here is a man who prayed, listen to this, devoutly and continually for years, and his prayers had accumulated at the throne of God, and they were there forever. When I ask you at the first, do your prayers shape the world? I bet your initial response was to say, no, I'm not a very good prayer. But I want to tell you, your prayers don't go away. They're deposited at the throne of God, and they act as a memorial to God. They're there the whole time. They have a cumulative effect both in your life and in the world. Your prayers have acted as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. What did we think of Peter? What's our character sketch of Peter? Well, Peter's one of these outrageous kind of fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants guys. He couldn't have a pattern in his life. Look at verse 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Peter had a regular time of prayer. Yes, he was free. Yes, he did see visions of God. Yes, he was spontaneous. But he had a regular time of prayer. Now let me recommend this to you. Not only so that God can fill you up, but so that God can accomplish what he wants to through your prayer life. And it won't always be what you pray for. Those of you who know the history of St. Augustine know that before he became a saint, he was a boogerhead. I mean, he was a reprobate boogerhead. And his mother was a praying Christian. And she worried sick about Augustine, you know? I mean, this, and he, used, he used to know he was supposed to get saved. He knew he wanted to be saved. But he prayed this prayer. See if it fits. God, make me holy, but not yet. He's having too much fun. God, make me holy, he used to pray, but not yet. So he's running from God. And the harder he'd run, of course, the harder his mom would pray. Oh, God. Save my boy. Well, one day he was going down. He was going to sail for Rome. And Rome was a reprobate city. She didn't want him to go there. It was full of sin. So she went down and she, she held on to him and said, You can't go. You've got to stay with me. She wanted him around. Like all moms, you kind of want your kid around where you can pray for him on the spot. You know, kind of geographic proximity prayer. She's got to stay with me. She said, No, mom, I've got to go. She said, No, you've got to stay with me. So, so she said, Well, just come up to this room and we'll get a room for the night and I'll pray for you all night. And he goes, okay, you know, he's his mother, you know, okay. So he goes up and she's just praying fervently to God, you know. 
And Augustine sitting there looking at her. Well, she prays so hard and so long, she just completely wore out and fell asleep. The moment she fell asleep, that bugger head got up and sailed toward Rome. Just took off in the boat, sailing toward Rome. Well, when he got to Rome, guess what happened? He met Christ. Christ got a hold of him. And later, years later, he was to write in his confessions. God denied the request of my mother's prayer so that he could answer the substance of the desire of her heart. God won't always answer your prayer like you pray him. But God will answer the substance of your heart because that's who's led you to him, the Holy Spirit. That's why you have those prayers. So let me challenge you, and then we'll close right now. Let me challenge you to establish a pattern of prayer in your life. Pray to him. Just just get in your mind a, a time early in the morning. Sometime, sometime, some regular time that you have every day that you can just spend a few moments in prayer. And if you don't know what to pray, go through the Acts thing. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It should not be tough. You adore God. Say something nice about God to Him. That should not be tough. Confess. Think up a sin. <laughs> that should not be tough. It's not tough for me to do that. Thank Him for something. Shouldn't be tough. Ask Him for something. Shouldn't be tough. Do that in the morning. Find some time around noon. Some trigger. Okay? That you will have that regular time. Find some time in the evening. I want to tell you, we pray as a family together. As a, as a ritual. As a pattern. At the end of the day. How many days does everybody come jumping and shouting and laughing? Oh boy, we get to pray together. Not very many. When you're raising teenagers and they want to do stuff and you don't want them to, sometimes the atmosphere is tense. But we've always prayed together. And you know what? That prayer time puts everything in perspective. It really does. Have a time of prayer. Make a time of prayer. So that God will work through the patterns of your life. Now, would you stand? Let me pray for us all. And then you will return singing the prayer that the Lord has taught us. Let us pray. God, thank you for the saints that have gone before us and established a pattern of prayer that not only showed us the value of consistency, but also laid before us a platform of accumulated good that would be attributed to our prayer life. God, help us to establish that same pattern for the generations that come after us. Help our prayers to go up to you as a memorial, to remind you that there are people who love you and people who praise you and adore you. Father, teach us to pray. Not what to say, not how to get what we want, but teach us to pray. We pray in the name of the one who taught us to pray.